Good morning and welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. You have come to a house of prayer for all nations, a safe place where strangers become friends. So if you're a guest with us today, we just anticipate that by the end of this morning, you will no longer be a stranger to us or us to you, but you will go out a friend. Thanks for being with us, and we trust that the presence and goodness of the Lord will surround you this day. This morning we're going to begin um, a mini-series, seven weeks long, um, that will be that will take us through June and through July here on experiencing God, the seven realities. As you know, for the last two and a half years, there's been a, a prophetic word that's been sort of hanging over our congregation, and that word is the word shift. And shifting means a dislodging and a repositioning, an intensifying and an acceleration. That's what shift is about. For several months, um, last fall and this winter and spring, a variety of us preached a series of messages on strategic shifts, repositioning us to receive our inheritance, which was the theme for 2007, and release the outpouring, which is the theme for 2008. And a couple months ago, the Lord spoke into my heart that what was on His heart was something more than just a strategic shift, but that He was actually looking for us to experience a radical shift. And at that time, I was reading a book for my doctorate program, and I came across something that I'd never actually known before, I guess. And that is sort of the underlying meaning of the word radical. For those of you that are math people, that, that, by the way, would not be me, in case you're wondering. But those of you that are math people know that the radical sign, or when you're looking for the radical, you are looking for what? You're looking for the root. And the word radical literally means to return to the root. And I heard in my spirit at that time a couple of things. I heard, and as I shared with you a couple of months ago now, that word that the Lord spoke into my spirit, that the axe is at the root, and causes, caused me to tremble. And as we went there and looked on Pentecost Sunday and saw you know, where that comes, where Jesus, John the Baptist, and, and, and says, you know, one is coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to tie. He will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. And, and, and his word right before that was, and the, and the axe is, is laid at the root. I believe the Lord is after something in us. And I think we're, 
we're just starting, you know, you, you get, and, and thank you, Karen, you know, we, we see in part, we know in part each of us is getting a piece, but the Lord's after something very significant, not just for this house, but for his house in St. Paul, for, I mean, the larger house, I don't mean just Bethel, I mean his big B Bethel house in St. Paul, in Minneapolis, and our expression there through BCF Minneapolis, but the church in Minneapolis, the church in the Twin Cities and beyond, the Lord is really after something significant. But in order for us to experience all that He wants to do in that receiving of that inheritance from Him and that releasing of the outpouring, there needs to be a work done in the very roots of our lives to prepare us for what He is bringing. And so that song that you sang... Eric, thank you. Change our hearts, O oh God. Because He's the only one who has the power to do that. And He is the one who will reposition us. He is the one who will accelerate that work in us. That His will and purposes might be done. So several months ago, I got an email um, that talked about and just sort of outlined in a very, just a very simple way, these seven realities of experiencing God. And some of you and I have, have gone through maybe, you know, it came out, I think, almost 20 years ago, or at least, yeah, almost 20 years ago now, um, a, a course by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And in that course, he outlines seven realities. And I believe that these seven realities will help us return to the root so that we might be a radical people for him. And I'm so encouraged by the testimonies because, you know, I I love when God preaches the message before I do. And he has this morning already. So I'm just going to be here to kind of reaffirm and confirm things that he's already, you've already heard this morning if you've had your ears listening. Reality number one, which we're going to be looking at in depth this morning, is that God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. Reality number two is, That God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Reality number three is that God invites you to become involved with Him in His work. Reality number four is that God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal Himself, His purposes, and His way. Reality number five is that God's invitation for you to work with Him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Reality number six is that you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what He's doing. (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) 
settle down now. No. <laughs> Don't settle down. Uh, and number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him. And he accomplishes his work through you. Let me just begin with a very simple um, but profound truth that you and I need to rehear this morning. John 17.3, Jesus' high priestly prayer just before he dies. He's praying. And he prays and he says, Father... The time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted Him authority over all people, that He might give eternal life to all those you have given Him. Now, verse 3. Here's what I want you to re-hear this morning. Now, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. When you and I normally think about eternal life, I think that if you're like me, you conceptualize it as something that happens after you die. You know, when things finally settle down. Six feet under, things settle way, way down. And now I'm entering into eternal life. But that is a misconception. Because eternal life is something that you step into the moment you step into relationship with the life giver, Jesus Christ. And when you surrender your life to Him you have stepped immediately into that eternal life with Him. But in order to do that, this eternal life has to do with knowing Him. Not simply knowing about Him. Do not deceive yourself this morning. Do not allow yourself to walk in the deception that knowing about God is the same as knowing God. They are two very distinctly different things. You may know about him. I know about President Bush. But do I know him? Not so much. The only way you know someone is through relationship with that person. And the radical place that he wants to bring us to is the radical place of knowing him. Not just about him, but actually experiencing God. Let me just take a few moments this morning to unpack this 
phrase, God is always at work around you. It begins very simply with God. God. You can all say, ooh, ah, okay. That's... But I would like to confront our hearts this morning as the Lord has confronted my heart with something that might just step on your toes just a little bit. But I actually believe this to be true. And that is this, that many, dare I say most, Dare I say that all of us at one time or another are afflicted with this reality. That even though we may have experienced and may even be experiencing a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ and a relationship with God, yet many times in our lives through the dailiness of our lives, even though we may proclaim and, and say that we are believers, functionally, we function as agnostics or even atheists. Our day-to-day life is lived in such a way that God is at best an afterthought and sometimes not even that much. Is that true? Anybody else want to fess up? Jesus is... Our example, he is, of course, he's our Savior, he's our Lord, he is God. He's also our older brother, he's also our master, the one whom we copy our life after. And the life that flowed through Jesus came as a direct result of his utter and complete dependence on the Father. Jesus is God, but he emptied himself, he became A hundred percent man, we don't understand the fullness of how the incarnation worked. But while Jesus walked here on earth, He demonstrated in His life an absolute, utter dependence upon God. He lived completely in the reality of God. Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from Him who sent me. Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I in the Father. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. 
For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and that they believed that you sent me. Are you seeing it? John 14 is recorded for us this conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples when he's talking about leaving and they're not real happy about it because they don't know where he's going. And in that conversation, he says to Philip, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing His work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, I don't know about you. I I know that many of you are, are far more spiritually mature than I am, I'm sure, but I struggle with that. Unbelief sort of, you know, disbelief. Or, I'm going to do greater things? We're going to, how does this work? But here Jesus is saying, because that, that relationship that I have with the Father, you get to have with Him. You get to experience that reality. It won't be precisely the same. Obviously, Jesus is unique. And yet, and yet, it all begins, the very root of the root is it begins in God. It begins with His changing our hearts. It begins with His working His will in and through us. It's Him. It begins the very first, the very first word of the seven realities, the very first word in experiencing God is simply God. God. Going on. God is always. Now there's another one that will confront our unbelief because... I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm like, you're always at work? You're at work in this? God is always. Always. One of the favorite promises of Scripture is in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and ever-present, or it can also be translated, a very present help in trouble. 
Therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and ever-present help. He is very present. Now we know in our head, we know theologically, we've been heard, we've taught. He is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. But it is not only true that He is present everywhere, He is present here, now, with you. Wherever you are, He is. I love Psalm 139. I love to read it to new moms and dads and babies that talk, you know, when David says, you know, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you're there. If I go to the far sides of the depths of the sea, you're there. Wherever I go, you're there. What an incredibly great reality and promise. Particularly on this Father's Day. You know, you know, most of you know, I'm a father. I've got four children. I love to be very present with my kids. I try to be a very present dad. That they know that I'm there. Sometimes even when they don't want me to be there. There. <laughs> but I'm not there. I'm, I mean, I'm there in some sense, but I'm not there with my daughter Emily and her husband Michael. And they're in Bismarck. What was that? Father's Day. They go to Bismarck for his daddy. It's okay. I'm not there with Eleanor in Washington, D.C. She's doing her internship with International Justice Mission. I'm not there. I'm here. I'm here for her. But the reality is, our God is always here. He's always there. He's always wherever you are. Because if He is in you, He is with you. In the hard times and the good times and the times of tears and the times of joy, He is there. I love this scripture in John 14. Andrew Gross, um, our pastoral intern and, and, and elder here, preached on this a few weeks ago. He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see Me anymore, but you will see Me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in Me, and I am in you. He preached on that shift from a orphan spirit to a spirit of adoption. And a lot of us have walked around with an orphan spirit that has been passed on through us, sometimes generationally or through our fathers who are absent in some way, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, they were absent from us. But the Lord wants to replace and put in us a spirit of adoption to know that He is always with us. You are never alone. Whatever your earthly father was like, your heavenly father is perfect in all of his ways towards you. 
Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you, what? Always to the very end of the age. That brings us to word number three. Word three, working. God is always working. What is he doing? What's God's work? Anybody? What's God's work? Well, everything. Okay, well, that's helpful. That's true. But what's the everything? What's he doing? Changing us, yeah? What's he doing? What's God's work? Come on. The will of the Father, good. Okay, but what's the will of the Father? Building his kingdom, destroy the works of the devil. What else? What's he doing? What's God doing? What's his work? Huh? Drawing people to himself, good, good. All right, helping, yeah. Okay, all good things. Let me let me encapsulate it with a scripture here. Colossians chapter 1, powerful scripture. Capture this this morning. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, here's where I want you to start underlining in your own Bible, not the Pew Bible. Okay. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, here we go, to reconcile to himself all things. This is the work that God is after. To reconcile all to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The work of God is to reconcile all things to himself. People, systems, (laughs) to bring all things into alignment with him, his justice, his goodness, His will and purpose. He is in the process, even now. Let me tell you that God is always working at this. He is always at work to reconcile all things to Himself. That's His work. That's He spends every moment of all eternity on this work of reconciling all things to Himself. What he's always after. He is always working around you. Very quickly, two things. And they're in this order because that's the order they happen. First of all, the around you happens in you. In you. You all know this scripture. You've heard it before. Most of you, Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. He is in the process of working in your life right now to conform you to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what He's doing. But I don't like it. 
And God says, well, that's right. Because I like what I'm doing in you. I like what I'm doing in you. Because I am bringing you into conformity with my son. So that I can work through you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's making us new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now that's a sobering thought. But the more we're conformed to the image of his likeness, the more he works through us. He's able to, because in the new creation, he's flowing out of his life and light, flowing through us to a world in darkness and death, bringing forth that reconciliation that he's always at work. And he wants to use you and me. It's unbelievable, but he does to use us. One more scripture, Jesus' example. It's typed at the top of your bulletin so you could remember this one. John 5, 17, 19 and 20. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show even greater things than these. God, the Father, has been working right up until now. And the Father has me working, Jesus says. And I do nothing in my own initiative. I watch to see what the Father is doing and then I do what I see the Father is already doing. You see, the Father loves me and shows me everything that He Himself is doing. Incredible. If we could just capture that. And that's our example. That's our call. God's been working all around you. And He wants you to be working too. And you can't do anything of your own initiative. So you need to watch to see what the Father is doing so that you can do what you see the Father already doing because the Father loves you and shows you everything that He Himself is doing. Because it says in John 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends because a friend tells a friend what He is doing. All right. So I have something very practical to end with. I have a to-do. All right? And kids, I really need your attention because I need you to help your moms and dads with this one. Because I think you're actually better at this than we are. But here's what I want you to do as we begin this seven weeks for experiencing God in these seven realities. Here's... Here's the simple to-do that I want all of us to do. It's very simple. It comes out of something that 
a, a directive that we heard many years ago, some, a, a, a discipline that we heard from uh, when we did some 50-day spiritual adventures. And it's really simple. Here's the action step to do the God hunt. To do the God hunt. Here's what the God hunt is. It's very simple. I want you to look for and take note of. In fact, you can even start a notebook in your house and start writing these things down. Here is, and and what we saw today, what we heard today in the testimonies were people who have seen something in their own God hunts. That's not what they were, you know, they weren't thinking about this because they hadn't heard me preach the message, but that's what's happening. Go on a God hunt. Here's what, the, here's what you're going to look and take note of. An obvious answer to prayer. An obvious answer to prayer. Secondly, an unexpected evidence of God's care. Thirdly, an unusual linkage or timing. Oh, it was just a coincidence that Jeannie just happened to be at the doorway waiting when the person that she'd prayed for to see two days before opened the door. What a coincidence. No, that's what Pastor Hollis, our former associate, used to call a godsidence. And help to do God's work. We heard that, Naomi sharing that. The help to do God's work, looking for that help. I'm going to close with this story that Henry Blackaby relates in his book. Listen carefully. He says, Watching for God at work on the campus... While I pastored Faith Baptist Church in Saskatoon, we began to sense God leading us to an outreach ministry to the college campus. I had never done student work. Our church had never done student work. Our denominational student ministries department recommended we begin with a Bible study in the dorms. For almost two years, we tried to start a Bible study in the dorms, and it did not work. One Sunday, I pulled our students together and said, this week, I want you to go to the campus and watch to see where God is working and join him. They asked me to explain. God had impressed on my heart these two scriptures. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. Romans 3, 10 and 11. And no one can come to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, 44. I went on to explain. According to these passages, no one is going to seek God on his own initiative. No one is going to ask after spiritual matters unless God is at work in his life. When you see someone seeking God or asking about spiritual matters, you're seeing God at work. That is something only God does in a life. For example, when Jesus passed through a crowd, he always looked for where the Father was at work. The crowd was not the harvest field. The harvest field was within the crowd. In Jericho, Jesus saw Zacchaeus in a tree. Jesus may have said to himself, nobody can seek after me with that kind of earnestness unless my father's at work in his heart. So Jesus pulled away from the crowd and said, Zacchaeus, quickly come down, for today I must stay at your house. What happened? Salvation came to that household that night. Jesus always looked for the activity of the father and joined him. Salvation came as a result of Jesus' joining his life to the activity of his father. I told our students, if someone starts asking you spiritual questions, whatever else you've planned, don't do it. Cancel what you're doing, go with that individual, and look to see what God is doing there. That week, our students went out to see where God was at work on the campus and to join Him. On Wednesday, one of the girls reported, Oh, Pastor, a girl 
who has been in classes with me for two years, came to me after class today. She said, I think you might be a Christian. I need to talk to you. I remembered what you said. I had a class, but I missed it. We went to the cafeteria to talk, and she said, 11 of us girls in the dorm have been studying the Bible, and none of us are Christians. Do you know somebody that could lead us in a Bible study? As a result of that contact, we started three Bible study groups in the women's dorms and two in the men's dorm. For almost two years, we tried to do something for God and failed. For three days, we looked to see where God was working and joined Him. What a difference it made. Over the following years, many students trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, and many of those went on to pastor and full-time ministry and missionaries around the world because they began to look to see what God was doing. Because God is always at work around you. He is always at work around you. Say it with me. God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. Say it again. God is always at work around you. And around me and around us. All right. Here's how we're going to close. And that we're not going to have any... Um, Music this morning. We're just going to close this way very simply. I know that many of you have Father's Day activities that you need to get to. But I believe that this is a a word that's for all of us. It's not just for a few. So here's what I want to do, to ask you to do, invite you to do. If you would just, as as we were singing that earlier, so powerful, open the eyes of my heart. And, And... Friday night at the outpouring, I I had a vision of blinders on people and the Lord wanting to take and remove those blinders and, and even the tatters, the veils that sometimes remain. He wants to remove all of those. So I would just simply ask you to put your hands on your eyes and we're gonna, I'm just as a, just as a touch point and we're just, I'm just gonna pray right now for our spiritual eyes. I've been praying that Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Praying that for us as a congregation. Lord Jesus, I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that we might know you. Know your promises. Know your purposes. Know the fullness, Lord, of what is in your heart. Thank you for being God and for always being at work to reconcile all things to yourself. Thank you that you're working in us and through us. And I pray for this precious people, these dear friends, both new and old friends, Lord, that, God, you would come and that you would graciously touch our eyes the eyes of our heart, and that you might actually realign our foundation stones of our heart, and that you might that you might do that um, divine surgery on our spiritual eyes, so that we might see without any distortion, but God, that we might see you. and what you are doing 
that we might join you in seeing all things reconciled to you. So on this day, I bless your people here those who are traveling and cannot be with us this morning and those at Bethel, Minneapolis this morning and this entire congregation. Lord God, make the radical shift that you're desiring in us that you might be glorified. And now if you just want to take those hands and open them for the benediction, And I pray now that the immeasurable love of God the Father and the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son and the inexhaustible fellowship, comfort, hope, and power of the Holy Spirit will be with you and yours. As you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the favor and grace and blessing of the Lord upon your life. Go with the good news and watch where he is at work and be amazed for his glory and praise in Jesus' name.